Welcome to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to be a community of believers proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through worship, discipleship, and service. Our prayer is that you are transformed by the word of God in the following message. And we trust you are using this podcast as a supplement to your participation in a gospel church near you. Let's now hear what God has for us. If you have a copy of the Bible, I invite you to join me in Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. If you're unfamiliar to the Bible, we have some there in the backs of the pews. And in the Pew Bible version, it's page 528. Proverbs 2. Historically, in the month of January, we uh, take up uh, topics of wisdom um, for living, ethics. Um, and so in the past, we've done a lot of things on human dignity and covered some of those social rights issues in the Bible. Uh, but we decided that we're just going to do a slow drip through the book of Proverbs for a couple weeks at a time and then pick back up to our regular series in Matthew a little bit later. But Proverbs chapter 2 um, is our uh, on menu today. I'm going to go ahead and read it and pray. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, and understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who, who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let's pray. Once again, Father, we are here, and we acknowledge 
you as the sovereign Lord of the universe, the speaker of this word, of this book. Lord, I pray that we would acknowledge you in all our ways. Help us to listen to this talk. May your Holy Spirit preach upon our hearts a better sermon that can, than could ever be preached from up here. Teach us, mold us to be daughters and sons who listen for the voice of their parent for wisdom. We pray this in the name of the one who is wisdom himself, Jesus Christ. Amen. I listen to several podcasts, and more than any question on podcast interviews is this question. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Now, now, some of you are 20 years old, so that, I mean, doesn't even apply. But in, when you're 25 or 30, you might have something to say to that young woman, that young man. Indeed, you could probably say something to somebody who's younger than you. I wish I would have. In fact, I think uh, AT&T has captured this in some of their corny commercials uh, about high-speed internet and how the 12-year-old doesn't have it as good as, you know, her nine-year-old brother. But what would you tell your 20-year-old self? What we have today, this is the question set up for us in Proverbs chapter 2, which some consider to be kind of the, the pin, the, the, the key to unlocking the whole of Proverbs and its structure. So we're going to take it as a whole. It's, it's, it's poetry, um, so it has to be handled a little bit differently. We don't go every verse by every verse. But it does answer the question, what would you tell yourself? So your 20-year-old self. I can almost imagine that this sermon would be better preached if I got rid of the pulpit and just brought a chair up here and leaned forward and just started having a chat with you. Because that's, the, that's the, like the ambiance of Proverbs chapter 2. It's a, a father and a son in, in Hebrew culture. This is, this is how it was. But let us not get tripped up merely on the maleness of this passage that everyone reading this is a potential son, a daughter, a son, someone in need of timeless advice. So I think Proverbs chapter 2 teaches us this simply that if you prioritize the path of wisdom, you'll escape a wasted life. So we see this in two threads, and I'm just repeating. The first thread in the text is prioritizing wisdom, and secondly is escaping a wasted life. Verses 1 through 11 show us about prioritizing wisdom. The first word, say, my son, if you receive my words. The relationships assumed in the book of Proverbs, and this is going to be repeated more and more. You'll hear this, my son, my son, my son, at least several times up to chapter 10. The kind of stew that this kind of uh, this chapter and this advice is boiling in is the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. So shall your days be long in the land. So the assumption here is that a son, a daughter is listening to their parents. Indeed, parents are worth listening to. The default for all children 
is to listen to your parents. Now, some of you are over the age of 18, and you wonder, do I need to obey my parents? Well, I'm not necessarily getting into the nitty-gritty of obedience to your parents as a young adult, but you certainly should honor them. But I also understand that some of you here, or all of us here, have not had equal experiences with authority growing up. So don't hear this as me saying that all authority speaks this way, downloads this kind of wisdom on the regular. No. So we we exalt this text because it comes from the very mouth of God through the Holy Spirit, through the ancient sages, specifically, probably, King Solomon. So hear this in the spirit of honor your father and your mother as a way of honoring God the Father, the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. Our text here talks about wisdom, especially in verses 1 through 11, mentions wisdom at least three times. And what is wisdom? Oh, there's so many definitions. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel, but I like this one. Wisdom is fleshing out the law of God in all of life. It is not separate from the first five books of the Old Testament. It is also part of the stew. Wisdom is boiled and baking in the Old Testament first five books. It is not separated from that. It's not a tack on. As in, well, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, well, they couldn't quite say everything, so here's the appendix. Now, this is weaving in life case scenarios. It is fleshing out God's law in all of life, in a sense. I read this morning, the, the wisdom books, the wisdom literature pronounce the self-consistency of God. God states things. He states his law. And if you don't believe him, read the wisdom books, read the Proverbs, read the Psalms, read Job, read Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. And you will see that what God demands in his law, he pays for. It works out. His advice, his wisdom always works out. If you prioritize the path of wisdom, you'll avoid a wasted life. That's, the, that's what this is about. So how, how, how in the world do you prioritize wisdom? Well, verses 1 through 5 sort of set up, a, um, I guess, a scenario or just a basic thrust that you must rearrange your values. You want wisdom? You, you want to be wise? You want discernment? Well, then that's going to mean a little bit of rearranging of things the way you think about life, the way you do life. But I want to call attention in these first five verses to the action words. Just look down at your Bible, verses one and five, and just let these things like pop off the page to you. If you receive treasure, you make your attentive, inclining your heart, call out, raise your voice, seek it like silver, search. You see all those verbs? Now, please don't understand that. All right, there's like five, six, seven words there. Must I, must I do all of these things? And is there a certain order or progression in order for me to attain wisdom? Now, what's happening here is the, is the author, is, is this dad, this parent is stacking up as parents often do, right? They sometimes speak hyperbolically. They sometimes repeat themselves. Well, I, 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 they do repeat themselves, right? 
But what the, the point here is, is that in order to rearrange your values to align with wisdom, is that you need to make effort. You need to exert yourself. You have to seek. You have to go looking. You have to put yourself in the way. Wisdom just doesn't necessarily come haphazardly as, well, I'll see if it happens. I hope, I hope so. I hope I get smart. I hope things work out in life for me. No, you must exert yourself fully, crying out, receiving. You're putting yourself in an active position, in a teachable position. So if you envision this parent leaning forward in her chair, having this heart to heart, this child is also kind of leaning forward. This is the heart posture that you and I must have when it comes to wisdom and good authority. To do this means that we must submit to God. Oh, that dreaded six-letter word, submit. Well, what a beautiful word. Taken in the best sense, taken in the whole of Scripture, we are called to submit to God, like this child is called to submit to his parent. We are called to submit to God in how we use our senses, our senses, our touch, our taste, our our feelings, our ears, our eyes, everything about us, the way that, that life comes at us and the way we process things into our brains and then how we react. We are called to pursue wisdom with our senses. We're called to submit to God and pursue wisdom by the influences we let in. Now, I could sit here and give you a you know, a, a paradigm or some kind of chart to how you know you're making good decisions in life. Now, sometimes you just have to go and make decisions to find out how wise they were. That's part of learning. But part of what this text is saying is that you can actually avoid a lot of waste in life if you listen to the right sources. So I have no, nothing new to offer you in terms of advice. I'm prioritizing wisdom other than submitting to God in the ordinary means of grace. Meaning, if you want to become wise for life, you must spend time in the Word of God. No, this is not just merely the preacher going for the low-hanging fruit and moralizing the text away. But if you want wisdom, you're going to have to go to the source of wisdom. You must become a person of this book, the Bible. Spend time in it. Talk about it, memorize it, listen to sermons, be in it, soak yourself in the word of God. This also means confessing sin. Funny thing is, is later in Proverbs, it says part of wisdom is that if you confess and forsake your sins, you will have mercy. That comes from Proverbs. Wisdom says it's not good to isolate yourself and to, and to hide and to cower in shame and guilt and fear. The better posture in life is to out yourself. Yeah, it hurts temporarily, but wisdom is confess your sin. And that, in the life of a local church, is wisdom. That is an ordinary mean of, means of God's grace. Prayer. Certainly the, the wisdom books, the Psalms especially, are, are, are chock full of prayers that you can pray. You wonder, I don't know how to pray. What should I pray? 
Open up your Bible, the book of Psalms. Adam led us in one today in Psalm 73. You could, do, you could do that. You could just start with the Psalms and let the Psalms be your guide in prayer, just as the Psalms were Israel's hymn and prayer book of old. So pray the scriptures. Be with God's people. Again, we heard that at the beginning in the call to worship. Life makes sense when you come to church. Now, please don't hear that if you come to church, you know, everything just gets cleared up for you and life is hunky-dory. Now, sometimes things complicate by coming to church and hanging with God's people. But all of a sudden, I think what the spirit of Psalm 73 there is, is that um, reality becomes clear. You, do, you need to be with the people of God. You are not strong enough to, to do the Christian life on your own. You need to be with God's people on Sunday, throughout the week, accounted for and accountable to. How about working hard? Oh, Proverbs talks all, a lot about working hard. You must work hard. And that is a gift from God to work. And this is part of how we submit to God. You say, I don't really like to work. All right? That's 100% of us. All right? But work is actually a gift from God. Work existed before the fall. So even if an Adam and Eve didn't mess this whole thing up, hey, somebody was going to. But the other sure thing is that work would have been part of it. We would still be working, still tending the ground and naming animals and building, you know, building tables and driving buses and coming up with things and inventing things. We need to work hard. We need to deploy our money wisely and generously. That is how you submit to God. When, and in prioritizing wisdom, you find that, well, it's not just enough about working hard. Why do you work? It's I work for Friday. I work for the weekend, right? I work so I can have money to do stuff with, to consume, right? Well, not good. I'm raining on your parade. No, not according to this text, not according to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs teaches us how to deploy our money wisely and generously. Seek mentors who are wiser than you. Get close to them. You want to know how what prioritizing wisdom looks like? Here's what your 20-year-old, you should tell your 20-year-old self. As soon as you're able, get mentors in your life. Start in the local church. Go past there. If you want to go past there, fine. Have Christian friends. But not just Christian friends. We're talking about people that are older and wiser than you. You need those people. I need those people. And I'm just going to be frank. I've been, telling, I've been saying this way too much in the last year or two. Praise God for the older saints that are here in our church. I've only been here 11 years. Many of them have been here a whole lot longer. Uh, but it's sobering to me. As a 48-year-old man married just 22 years, that my wife and I are the oldest marriage in this church, I think. That's sobering. Yeah, it's a little bit of pressure, but you know what? I, too, I would love to have older people in the church to look up to. Maybe that should be something we pray about as a church. But we need mentors who are wiser than us, and we need to get close to them. So I don't know how... How to do that? You know, some older people are just so intimidating. Well, they're really warm, fuzzy bears inside. Just get close to them. Keep going. Next week, 
uh, I think next week, Lord willing, um, I've come out with a little booklet on the relationships of women in the church. And that particular book actually coaches you through that and talks about how we can engender relationships across generations in the church. But in verses 6 through 11, we move on. It says, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come understanding and knowledge. So here's what the Proverbs do. They repeat themselves. They drive home like a nail. This is the Hebrew poetry aspect of wisdom literature. 6 through 11 teaches us that we ought to recognize Yahweh is the source of all wisdom. You might be pursuing wisdom, but here's the thing. Wisdom is not in you. Wisdom is something that is outside of you, and you have to go searching for it. You have to go finding it. You have to exert yourself for it. And you have to, you have to work. It's not in you. That flies in the face of everything our culture tells us to do. Your, like our culture says, your ability to reinvent yourself is in you. You just got to get in touch with yourself. You got to do it for you. Now, I'm not against realistic self-assessment, finding what your strengths are. Certainly, there are good tools out there in the whole self-help section of our bookstores and online. But if you want wisdom, a lot of people are chasing wisdom who are not Christians. You must chase wisdom in the right ways, in the right person, and we're going to get to that. Verse 6 reminds me of something that James, the half-brother of Jesus, picked up on. When he said this, is if any of you lacks wisdom, and you're like, who's that? Me. I like wisdom. Let him or her ask of God, who gives to all liberally. I love the idea of God being a liberal. All right, let's just get that out there. Liberal means to be prodigious, to be generous. God, the Father, is that. You ask God for wisdom? He's not like, hey, here's a little bit. Try that out. Let me see how you do it that. No, do you believe that God will just heap it on you? Are you, do you, are you humble enough to say, well, you know, I, I've got about 50% of it figured out, and I'm going to call on the Lord for that other 50, 49%. No, you say, man, Lord, I'm, <laughs> no offense to you, Lord, I'm dumb. I can't figure things out. I need your help. I need wisdom. I don't care how old you are, how experienced you are in life, where you went to school, and what degrees you have. A gospel people is a people who are humble enough to recognize their need for wisdom and who call out to God and ask for it. It is the Lord who gives wisdom. Look at... um, Verse 7, he stores up wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and get this, and watching over the way of his saints. You don't get a ton of covenantal language in Proverbs. I mean, it is the stew, like I said, but direct statements. But here is a strong allusion to the fact that God is a God who keeps his word and keeps his people. And if you, insofar as you are pursuing God, you have the writ guarantee from Scripture that he watches over the way of the saints. But you might say, I ain't no saint. Well, 
We're not in the Old we're not in the New Testament, but go to the New Testament and see how Paul addresses churches. He addresses churches as the letter to the saints at such and such a place. So I am preaching to the saints at Addison and Hamilton, this small corner in Chicago. And the promise here is, is that if you recognize Yahweh as the source of all wisdom, he will watch over your way, saints. And we call you saints on purpose. Because in Christ, you are holy. And you are being holified, sanctified, becoming like Jesus. And your end is holiness, as the end of the chapter is going to show us. But verse 9 says, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. These, are, these three words, righteousness, justice, equity, or some have uh, integrity here, or uprightness, um, it's, it's mentioned back in chapter 1, verse 3, right away. It sets the tone of the book to receive instruction and wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. These are, these are the buzzwords, the moral vocabulary of the older covenant. This is what you get. This is what you're instructed in. It's foundational. You want to know all this talk about social justice, right? I think, I fear that in churches and in, secular, in the secular world, there is a lot of self-righteousness when it comes to talking about justice. And if you want wisdom to navigate all those conversations, you must apply your heart to the word of God. Really, if you think about it, all justice in the Old Testament way of thinking about it, all justice is social. Righteousness is how our, our, our posture towards God, in a sense, how, how we interact with God. Justice is how we interact with other people. And this integrity or uprightness is our own measure of our self-consistency who we are behind closed doors, what we know ourselves to be. The whole picture is here. God is the source of you attaining that, of growing in that. In verse 11, it says, again, a parallelism, discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. You say, who's that? Like where? You got these people, these spirits, ghosts, called discretion and understanding are like peering over you know, the ballpark of your life, watching you play your spiritual game, and they're, they're preventing you from doing anything really dumb that's going to disqualify you out of the game. All right, it's, it's not that ridiculous. But here's the fact. As you attain wisdom, your, your, your moral capacity grows. And as Tremper Longman states, who is a scholar in the book of Proverbs, he says, if a problem arises in your life, then the recipient of God's wisdom will have the wherewithal to deal with it. Sometimes we ask, I don't know how in the world I'm going to deal with this. Well, I, hate to, uh, I want to say to you, I know. Right here. God will give you the wisdom that you need. And if you are seeking wisdom, God will give you the way out of the hardest things in life. He will help you deal with them. He will help you untangle things. This is what happens when you prioritize wisdom. Now, our text does, and you know, some people knock Christianity and, and say that some of the claims of Christianity, you, you Christians, what you guys do is you just participate in circular reasoning. 
And I, you know, I would have to answer uh, publicly, unashamedly. I would say, yes, actually, you know, we do. And I would have to say that some of you and your worldviews are quite circular in how you reason as well. But reasoning practices aside, our, our text here basically says reasons this way. Seek wisdom, find God. Seek God, find wisdom. That's, that's good. That's not rocket science. If you want to be on the circular reasoning bandwagon, hop on with me, all right, and ride that to eternity. So parents, when we think about raising children, when they're old enough to talk back to us and old enough to understand things, don't just tell your children what to do, but tell them why. Let us not lie to children. Granted, there is wisdom in, in waiting to tell children certain things at certain times. But I, I do not think that parents should lie to their children. So don't lie to your children. Make the culture of your home, or if you hope to have a home someday, the kind of place where it is open, not just for your kid to be your, a kid, but where it's open, where you freely discuss the hard things of life. So if they don't want to do something, don't just, when they say, why? Don't just say, because I told you so. Because I'm your mom, that's why. Now, I confess, that's actually really easy to do, and I often do that. But I'm often challenged to rise to the occasion as a parent and actually take the time to make an explanation. And I would encourage all of us that you, we must go to God more and less to self-help. More to the fellowship of the saints and less to the fellowship of social media feeds and influence. Please do not hear me that the pastor who's barely on social media is against social media. That's my preference as an American, all right? So don't, don't bother me about that. But I, I fully, you know, fully bless what you do, but I caution you to make the fellowship of saints more of a priority in how you listen and prioritize the voices coming in in your head than everything that is online. Seek God, not self-help. And prioritizing the path of wisdom isn't your fallback option in case all your other ideas don't work out, friends. It is your first and only option. Plan A and plan A only. So this father and this mother is earnestly looking us in the eyes and saying, daughter, son, don't play around. You've got one life to live, so live it wisely. So as already alluded to in the previous verses, embedded here in Proverbs 2 is this treasure that wisdom is and the protection that is promised when you attain it. So if you prioritize the path of wisdom, you'll escape a wasted life. That's the second half of the chapter, verses 12 to 22. He talks about escaping a wasted life. You might be using an ESV translation of the Bible, maybe use an NIV or some other translation, but it kind of turns here to give us purposes um, or results, really, of what the path of wisdom leads to. It will help you first. It will deliver you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech. It will help you escape perverted men. 
verses 12 to 15. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of righteousness, who walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Now, is this men in general or are these males that are being talked about? Actually, I don't think it matters. It could be people in, specific, people in general or actual males, men. That's going to come clear here in a second. But the point here is, is that wisdom will protect, wisdom will deliver you and help you escape from the evil way, the evil path, from men of perverted speech. Twice this word perverse pops up. And the idea of perversity here is that of overturning, turning over. It is bent on going the other way. It is bent on going against positive parental instruction. What my dad and mom told me to do, I'm not doing that. I'm going the other way. The Bible calls that perverse. Sometimes we use that that kind of language, strong moral vocabulary. We use it very strongly and very specifically. And the Bible here is using it very amply and very generally that any kind of overturning of the positive moral parental instruction, that God-like voice in your head, on your path, is perverse. None of us would ever love, want to be called a pervert. But in a sense, the Bible is saying is that to reject wisdom is to become a pervert, perverted. These, this kind of perverseness happens in, in several ways, big ways, like normalizing gambling, financial swindling and embezzlement. This happens, educated elites from the top universities and their firms moving money around the world to, pl- to pleasure themselves. It is normalizing homosexuality. It is weeping. It's weeping when you hear the news that Roe v. Wade gets overturned. I'm not, this is not a political sermon, but I heard actual weeping when that came down the pike. And I'm not saying that, oh, you evangelicals. No, God calls that kind of, that reaction, overturning in your spirit, perverseness. Human trafficking. Well, all of us can get on board with that, right? No one. We ought to put an end to human trafficking, right? But if we said, what about ending pornography and getting rid of that? We should be free, right, to express ourselves, First Amendment, right? And that is the, that, that is the insanity of perverseness. On one side, we will condemn the mistreatment of women, and human trafficking, but on the other side, we set up and celebrate free sexuality. Wisdom tells us you can't have both. In fact, it says that the wages of sexual sin is death. Ray Ortland Jr. said this about perverse men. He said it's not limited to bad words and dirty jokes. It includes good words being used to turn things upside down. Words should represent reality. They should be true to what is. 
But words can be used to twist reality. Bad men use good words to smuggle in bad realities. And some people are fooled. But if wisdom has entered your heart, tricky words just won't pass the sniff test. So if you have wisdom, you'll be able to sniff out those who swindle and twist and overturn reality and positive instruction with their words. Wisdom helps you escape a wasted life, helps you escape perverse men. Verses 16 to 19 show us that it helps escape a forbidden woman. Now, in the context of Hebrew or Israelite culture, this is not talking about a a Gentile, all right? Us Jews, those Gentiles. It's not talking about that kind of a foreigner, but it is talking about a temptress of any kind. Now, granted, the woman is set up as the, the bad person here, but let's just say it is a temptress of any kind. Could be male or female. But if it's a father and a son having this conversation, the dad is basically saying to his son, like my dad, I can see, I can remember it as if it's yesterday when I was a teenager. My dad's a physician, he's not a scholar, theologian, but he read his Bible enough to say to, to his sons, boys, keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. Meaning, avoid the temptresses. This kind of person is called an adulteress with her smooth words. It's not merely that she's first and foremost using her looks or her dress. She's using her speech. Flattery is the way that we are often drawn in. Men especially are drawn in. Why? Because men often, the need of men is for respect. And if they ain't getting respect in their certain realms of of work and living, and they hear a voice of respect. Ooh, oh, somebody who respects me. Brothers, it doesn't matter who is not respecting you. Do not fall for the voices of flattery. This person, this temptress, she's not concerned about fidelity. It says if she forsakes the companion of her youth, and believe me, this is going to be blown out in chapters 5 through 7. He's going to go on a lot longer, and he's going to tease this out a lot more. She, she is, forsakes the companion of her youth. She forgets the covenant of her God. This person, she's not concerned about fidelity. Huh, fidelity? That's so old school. I mean, are we living in the Victorian era here? I mean, heck, we're the, you all are the grandchildren of the... Y'all are the grandchildren of the 60s. And we know what happened in the 60s, right? The sexual revolution. We've progressed. No, it's not just the sexual revolution in America and the Western world. The fact is, is that sexual promiscuity and infidelity is as old as the day is long. You go into certain archaeological type things like down at University of Chicago, or any, you'll find some surprising pornographic sculptures like, oh, wow, those people, they thought that, yeah, there was that back then. Again, Ray Ortland says there's no such thing as a one-night stand because it gets complicated fast. You think, oh, we just shack up one time, no her, no commitment. That's not the way the Bible thinks about it. It complicates things. See, the sexually loose person, male, female, doesn't care too much 
They've already justified it. It's like they wipe their mouths after a meal and say, I've not done anything wrong. Other people do worse things than me. But as the verses 18 and 19 say, look at that. It says, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the path of life. Friends, this is real. This kind of person has a body count. She has, or he has, his own little cemetery of sexual victims. I'm not talking about um, sexual violate. I'm just talking about sexual promiscuity. The Bible puts that much attention on it. And don't, you can't sit here and say, oh, you, you Christians, all you do, you're just against everything. You're so prudish. Do you forbid having a good time? You know one of the reasons why? We ought to avoid the sexual promiscuity is so that we don't die. The wages of sexual sin is death. Now, friends, sexual promiscuity and public nakedness has been flaunted for millennia. But in our day and age, I'm sick of it. I am sick of it. I'm sick of how it's ravaged me in the past, how it ravages people sitting here, how it ravages Chicagoans, how it ravages trafficking networks on Super Bowl Sunday. I can hear my dad's voice again, and, you know, this is a very paternal type text, but sharing a window into my life. My dad grew up in South America, and he, often, he was often actually um, abused. So I never understood things, but in his own cheeky way, when summertime in Chicago would roll around, he says, uh, everyone here is getting naked. Meaning, it's summer and everyone's losing their clothes. Now, that's hyperbole, but I got the spirit of that. I got the spirit of that, that he wanted to guard his, his eyes and watch who and what he looked at. We need to do something. We need to at least protect ourselves and protect those around us. And I love what Jonathan Aiken, who is a scholar in Proverbs, he says this, listen to this. Entering into sexual sin with a forbidden man or woman reveals that spiritually you are in relationship with Lady Folly. Lady Folly is the anti-wisdom. There's Lady Wisdom, there's Lady Folly. Those are the two choices you have in Proverbs. And to keep on in sexual sin means that no matter what you say, your real relationship is with foolishness. There's a book, a memoir by a lady named Carolyn Drake. She's a Canadian. After college, she got accepted into a, a, a program in literature at Oxford. So she's a master's degree student at Oxford with the drive to get a PhD and to, to, to teach in the academy. And in her memoir, it's called Surprised by Oxford. It's actually come out in the last year uh, on, on uh, Amazon. But Carolyn Drake tells the story of how this young man befriended her in her program. But the thing different about this young man is that he, he was not like the other young men. And he was often, he was often uh, laughed at, mocked at, because he was known as chaste. She mocked him. But he, he just befriended her. 
He just befriended her. He loved her. He introduced her to C.S. Lewis. And over time, through his loving insistence on having a friendship and loving this person, respecting her, he graduated and her feelings for him changed. And it was through his testimony, through his honoring God and prioritizing wisdom that she came to faith. And yes, they did marry and live happily ever after. What a beautiful story. Because a, a story like that shows us the last bit of our text. So what? Here's what. So you say, so what, Dad? So what, Mom? Okay, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land. Oh, here we see that instead of escaping these, a perverse man or a forbidden woman, you are actually encountering the safety of reaching the promised land. If you prioritize wisdom, it will go well with you. Now, no doubt, the land promises that were promised in Deuteronomy 27 and 28 were, were such a big deal in the old covenant. And that, is the, that, again, is the context of these. You will get the covenant blessings if you follow the path of wisdom. You won't get the curses. And notice who is in, who gets the land, the righteous, the upright, and those in integrity. Friends, there is a community of wisdom. So don't think that you're going at this alone. You will not inherit the promises of the eternal kingdom solo. But you will with other people who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. And if you are a Christian, you have the hope of a heavenly entrance. I, I, I have to just interject. Second Peter, you don't have to turn there, talks about these different kinds of virtues, not unlike what we see in Proverbs 2. And he goes down these lists and he says that, that you ought to make your, he says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. The way that we, this side of the cross, read the land promises is that there is an eternal entrance, a rich entrance for you if you prioritize wisdom. You will not only be protected from a hellish existence and a hellish future, but you will inherit the land. How so? Here's how. I mean, is this Proverbs just behavior modification? You're saying that if I just modify my behavior a little bit and kind of get in the way, go to church, read my Bible, pray, you know, then I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to get this. Well, then we're missing it because all of the Proverbs points to a greater son, a perfect son who received the words of a father. Hebrews chapter five tells us that the, our Lord Jesus had to learn obedience. You get that? Just a few verses earlier, it says he was without sin. And now it says Jesus in his life learned obedience. And so I say, if Jesus had to learn obedience, if Jesus had to pursue wisdom, how much more us? Remember in Luke chapter 2? 
One of the only stories we have of Jesus' childhood, him and his family are going up for the festival. It's a great time. People love this. He's looking forward to it. They're there, and I don't know what kind of parents these are that leave without their kid, but they do. They're in a company of people. So there is a, a lot of assumption, a protective, surely he's, and they get, and they, where's Jesus? Jesus, is, Jesus isn't here. Oh, no. Anxiety levels go up. Joseph and Mary rush back to Jerusalem. Matter, this is probably a matter of days. And where's Jesus? Is he playing soccer with the kids? Is he up to no good because, you know, a child left himself? You know, they're usually not in good shape. No, they find Jesus with rabbis and teachers. Mary has come to him, Jesus, do you not? Oh, thank God you're safe. Do you know how much you worried us? Mom, what's the big deal? I have to be about my father's business. But Jesus, it's time to go home. Get this. Jesus was submissive to his heavenly father and to his parents. He is the wisdom of God. And in another way that the Bible strangely talks about the obedience of Jesus, it talks about in Philippians, that Jesus was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. That didn't seem like a wise way to build your kingdom. But it never is. First Corinthians says that the foolishness of man, the foolishness of God, all right, is foolish, seems foolish uh, to, to, to man. It's not wise to us. You don't build your kingdom by dying. But Jesus followed his command, even in the agony of death. Nevertheless, my father, not my will, but yours be done. That was an obedient son. If, we did, if Jesus didn't do that, if he just opted for the God card, I'm going to call 10,000 angels, we're settling this, we wouldn't be here. We'd be lost in our sins. So saints, whether you had a good father growing up, here in the book of Proverbs, we have the urgent sound of a parent as if her or his words were the very words of God that if you prioritize the path of wisdom, you'll escape a wasted life. Don't let God's wisdom go in one ear and out the other. This is not my book. These are not my words. These are God's words. Don't say, oh, we'll preach a decent sermon. Or, no, these are the words of God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this text ends with verse 22 by saying that you will not inherit land. You will be pulled out of the land. And the Bible's command to you, the Bible's giving you an out. It's to follow Jesus. He is wisdom incarnate. He is the end of wisdom. And I encourage you, friend, to take the heavenly father's advice and cry out to Jesus and he will save you. Let's pray. Lord, help us to listen. Help us to act. Help us to trust. Trust the only one who was the most obedient and who was wisdom himself. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. 
We hope you were encouraged by God's word. And for more info for joining us for a worship service, for taking your next steps with us, please visit ASCCChicago.org.